Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, yes, hold on one moment and Dr. Fauci will pick up, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. We've all been there, waiting, on hold, while you're trying to get through to the doctor. But this call is a bit different. The Times science correspondent, Rhys Blakely, is waiting to speak to the most important doctor in America, Anthony Fauci, the public face of the battle against coronavirus in the US. Hi, this is Dr. Fauci. Uh, hi, Dr. Fauci. Uh, my name is Rhys Blakely. I'm a journalist from the Times in London. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, it's a job that often puts Dr. Fauci at odds with President Trump. Dr. Fauci yesterday was a little cautious on reopening the economy too soon. Uh, do you share his concern? Look, he wants to play all sides of the equation. Uh, I think we're going to have a tremendous fourth quarter. With more than 189,000 deaths from COVID already and tens of thousands of new infections every day, America's future depends on Dr. Fauci making the right calls and being listened to. He's a good man. I like uh, Dr. Fauci a lot, just so you understand. No, he's not here because we really weren't discussing what he's best at. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci on President Trump and the pandemic. I really wanted to ask you about your amazing interview with Dr. Fauci. And the bit that I think most of us just sort of slightly choked on was where he starts talking about his relationship with President Trump and his access to President Trump at the moment. I stay out of the political fray completely. I do not get involved in any ideological discussions. I just, you know, do my job as a scientist, as the director of a very large scientific institution. It's an interesting matchup, isn't it, uh, Dr. Fauci and uh, Donald Trump? You know, they're, they're both white men. They're both in their 70s. They're both from the boroughs of New York. They both possess considerable egos, I think it's safe to say. Uh, they both fancy themselves as straight talkers, you know, people who tell it like it is. But they're also very, very different. My name is uh, Dr. Tony Fauci. I'm the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH. Fauci is 
one of the world's most accomplished scientists of his generation. A vaccine is not going to help us now, next month, the month after. And then you've got Donald Trump. Under my leadership, we'll produce a vaccine in record time. And so you can imagine them having an interesting relationship. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds Does he call you Tony like um, uh, George W. Bush would have? What, what's his kind of... What's his yes. Yeah. You know, he, he, he alternates. He calls me Tony most of the time, occasionally. He'll call me Anthony. <laughs> I, I, I think he does it when he's more serious. <laughs> And, and so the picture that emerged is that, you know, Dr. Fauci did see Donald Trump quite regularly during the, the early stages of the pandemic. So back towards the spring, they were seeing each other almost every other day. And he told me that since then, his access has become sporadic was the word he used. You know, we used to have presidential briefings a lot, almost every other day. Now it's, it really is sporadic. Uh, the last time I spoke to him was... Um, I would say a week ago, a week and a half ago, where he, uh, he wanted to get an update on where we were with the vaccines. And I mean, it's particularly worrying because it hasn't really plateaued in America yet. I mean, they still have serious cases sort of going up in certain parts of America. Yeah, when I spoke to Dr. Fauci, you know, he, this is the point he made, you know, there are 175,000 deaths at that point, uh, you know, 1,000 deaths a day. And Dr. Fauci's made the point several times that he thinks that certain states opened up too quickly and didn't lock down firmly enough that they didn't reach the sort of base levels as countries in Europe did. So, you know, he says that if we lock down in Europe to you know, 80, 90 percent of our previous activity levels in the states, in certain states, it was really only to about 50 percent. That's where lots of his um, conflict with Donald Trump comes from, I think. So they clearly have very different agendas uh, and very different personalities. Did he give you a sense of what it's like when they do meet? I mean, what is it like to brief Donald Trump? Well, Dr. Fauci is incredibly diplomatic on this point. I asked him, you know, when you do get to see the president, does he ask the right questions? And it was an interesting answer, I thought. He'll ask a question. I give him an answer. And he, he, he interrupts a lot. He likes to interrupt and ask a question of a question, if you know what I mean. Like you're answering a question and then he'll, you're halfway through and then he'll ask, uh, you know, a little bit more clarification. But yeah, I mean, he's he's inquisitive. He asks uh, a, a bunch of questions and I briefed him just the way I guess I would brief anybody else. Which in the case of Dr. Fauci, that puts Donald Trump in, in quite a sort of elite club. You know, Dr. Fauci is somebody who's advised six presidents. This, in a sense, isn't his first pandemic. What was it like preparing to talk to him? And what do you do when you only have 30 minutes? With somebody like Anthony Fauci, you know, an awful lot has been written about him recently, sort of long profiles in all the, uh, the American magazines. And, you know, he is this figure who's been a pillar of the, the medical and scientific establishment in the United States for, you know, nearly four decades now. But COVID is, has really made him a, a celebrity you know, in a way that he wasn't previously. Dr. Fauci, in our waning seconds with you, and on a much lighter note, Saturday Night Live is back this weekend. In a CNN interview a few weeks ago, he, he mentioned that he would very much like to have Brad Pitt play him on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Some suggestions that I've heard. Ben Stiller, Brad Pitt. Which one? 
<laughs> oh, Brad Pitt, of course. <laughs> Good evening. I'm Dr. Anthony Fauci. First, I'd like to thank all the older women in America who have sent me supportive, inspiring, and sometimes graphic emails. And sure enough, a few weeks later, you know, Brad Pitt is there opening Saturday Night Live as Dr. Fauci playing Dr. Fauci. <laughs> now, there's been a lot of misinformation out there about the virus. And yes, the president has taken some liberties with our guidelines. So tonight, I would like to explain what the president was trying to say. And to the real Dr. Fauci, thank you for your calm and your clarity in this unnerving time. I mean, you talked about his accomplishments. Give us a little guide to the, the CV of Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci's longevity is, is pretty remarkable. You know, he's, he's served six presidents as uh, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Starting with President Reagan through George H.W. Bush and Clinton and George W. Bush and Obama, and now currently President Trump. One thing that was really interesting when I was speaking to him, and he, he sort of talked about his, his upbringing. I asked him, you know, how did you end up where you are? And he sort of immediately went back and, and started talking about his father, who'd been a, a pharmacist. Back in the day, my father was kind of like, as, as I referred to as the poor man's physician for people who would come in, he would be the neighborhood psychiatrist, the neighborhood, you know, uh, empathetic person listening to difficulties of people in the neighborhood. So I, I grew up in, a, in an atmosphere of both my mother and my father of service to the community. So I kind of had that almost ingrained in me from the time I was a child. And I think that was amplified through his education. You know, he, he spoke about going to uh, a Jesuit high school in New York. And the entire theme of the Jesuits was one, they're very highly academically oriented. Mm -hmm. They're very strictly related to what the truth is and what evidence is, but they also had a motto, which was service to others. And you got the sense that that really had made an impression on him as a, as a schoolboy, and he was still sort of adhering to that kind of code. So the fact the fact she CV starts with you know a precociously talented schoolboy goes to elite high school in New York excels at science but thinks of himself as a people person. So I was trying to figure out what is the best way that I can combine my humanitarian instincts at the same time as I can you know pursue my my aptitude and my quest and my inquisitiveness about science. So I thought the best way to do that was to be a physician. He goes to Stanford and then he joins, it's called NIH, that's what everybody in the States knows it as, the National Institutes of Health in 1968. And the NIH is the largest funder of biomedical research in the world. He becomes an expert on the immune system. Then in 1984, he moves to the uh, National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And really, it's during the 1980s, I think, that he really comes into his own as somebody who's got this flair for policy as well. So in the 1980s, he becomes involved in HIV and AIDS. Now let's go to the lecture and join Dr. Anthony Fauci as he talks about AIDS. This evening, what I'd like to do is discuss with you a topic which I'm sure all of you, to a greater or lesser degree, are aware of. I think it was the evolution of the HIV epidemic back in the very early 80s, 1981, that got me interested in the broad 
global aspects of emerging infectious diseases. And really, that's what I've been doing uh, for the last 36 years. Probably the next highlight is when he gets to work with George W. Bush. George W. Bush asked me to help put together for him what turned out to be the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. In that effort, Fauci was really George W. Bush's special envoy. He was the guy that put, you know, the architect of this program. Regardless of how you feel about Bush, that program was already saved, you know, like 14 million lives. So I just feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to, to do that with him. That's what Dr. Fauci highlights as his, his proudest accomplishment. His work on HIV and AIDS, in a way, would have been career-defining. If he'd retired then, he would still have had a good claim to fame. And then along comes COVID. I mean, I suppose his, his public profile and you know his many achievements are probably almost an insurance policy against the White House's interventions. I mean, we have seen President Trump doing press briefings talking about disinfectant where a lineup of scientists behind him haven't said anything to challenge it, whereas Dr. Fauci very publicly does. How has that gone down? Their relationship has deteriorated, would that be fair? I think it probably is fair. I mean, it's very clear from watching Donald Trump over the past four, five, six years that there's really only room for one big character inside the administration. So I think the relationship probably soured because the two men took fundamentally different views on on how serious COVID was and how to deal with the pandemic. So Dr. Fauci wanted to close things down much more, wanted America to hunker down much more than it was. Donald Trump wanted to, to keep America open for business. As the weeks and months went on, people inside the White House began to snipe at Dr. Fauci, saying that he'd got things wrong early during the pandemic. Lots of those criticisms have an aspect of truth in them, that, you know, Dr. Fauci wasn't sure about face masks in the very early part of the pandemic, on issues like whether or not travel from countries like China should be prevented. Dr. Fauci wasn't in favour of that in the early days of the pandemic. He's now shifted his stance and says some travel restrictions are probably sensible. And the Trump administration has criticised him for making bad decisions. I think it's probably more accurate to say that Dr. Fauci's views have evolved as the science has evolved. Now, in terms of the, the relationship between Donald Trump and the White House and Dr. Fauci, it's been like being caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, isn't it? Neither of these guys is going to give an inch. I mean, it's alarming that he, he says that by the 10th of July, he hadn't briefed President Trump in two months. And that's while the number of cases of coronavirus across America are growing. I mean, he does have a structure in place to deal with COVID-19. He does uh, have Mike Pence, the vice president, leading a coronavirus task force. And that's, I think that's the conduit Dr. Fauci is now relying on to get information to Mr. Trump. What Fauci says about that relationship is that, you know, Mike Pence and, uh, and, and, and his, his sort of portion of the administration do view Dr. Fauci as kind of the, the skunk at the garden party is how they refer to him. But, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they haven't asked the skunk to leave yet is what he also says. Dr. Fauci is very reticent to criticise Donald Trump, the man, but he's fine with making it clear that he doesn't appreciate how the White House operates as a whole. Did you get a sense that they've had that conversation, that, that Dr. Fauci has brought this up with President Trump? It's clear that Dr. Fauci 
has had to take on this explainer-in-chief role, you know, where he's the guy who tells the American public that hydroxychloroquine, you know, this malaria drug that was touted by President Trump as sort of a miracle cure for, said, for COVID. I'd like it. I said, yeah, I'd like it. I'd like to take it. A lot of people are taking it. A lot of frontline workers are taking hydroxychloroquine. I want the people of this nation to feel good. You know, it doesn't work. The point that I think is important, because we all want to keep an open mind, any and all of the randomized placebo-controlled trials, which is the gold standard of determining if something is effective, none of them had shown any efficacy for hydroxychloroquine. It must be a hell of a tightrope trying to be diplomatic enough to not offend the president in public and yet have to make these corrections all the time about things that the president says, whether it's hydroxychloroquine or, you know, just disinfectant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the thing about Anthony Fauci that strikes you when you speak to him, he's, he's a rare sort of creature. He's a scientist, but there's a certain swagger to him. He has a certain charisma. Personally, I suspect that comes from age. You know, he's 79 years old. He, you know, he said that every time he goes into somewhere like the White House, he treats the occasion as if, you know, this is his last time in that room. You know, when you're dealing with somebody as capricious as Donald Trump is probably a pretty sensible policy. I'm going to do it all again. I know that's a hard, kind of a hard question, but do it all again. Would you put Fauci front and center every day in charge of the coronavirus task force? I get along with him very well. I disagree with a lot of what he said. He said, keep it uh, open for China. That was a big mistake, and he admits it. Uh, I just, I get along with him, but every once in a while he'll come up with one that I say, where did that come from? I inherited him. He was here. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. The virus has obviously become sort of this very polarising subject in America. Uh, and, you know, I know that Dr. Fauci has sort of not only had come under attack from people within the White House, but you know, he has actually received death threats. How is that sort of playing out in America now? Banal questions or questions that should be banal, you know, do face masks work? Does this drug work? Have become ideologically charged in a way that I think is really wrong-footed him to a certain extent. And that's translated itself into, you know, him receiving death threats and his family also receiving threats. So he now has a security detail. He has to take a bunch of armed guards with him. We hear about uh, a security detail. Um, is that correct that you've been assigned one? Yes. Lots of threats that were made. How do you yeah. feel? Well, that that is is 
that is complicated. I mean, that is a reflection of something that really is, should not only be disturbing to me, but it should be disturbing to anyone uh, because I come out with pure public health statements. None of the statements that I ever come out with, none of the analyses that I ever put forth or write about have any political or ideological connotations to them. Yet, when I make a public health statement like keeping distance, wearing a mask, avoiding crowds, you know, keeping things outdoor more than indoor. When I say that, there are people out there, extremists, that I don't need to describe since you probably know of them better than I do. They are extremists out there that don't just say they disagree with me. They actually threaten me, threaten my life and do something. The only thing that really bothers me about that is the harassment of my wife and my children. I have three grown daughters and they get harassed on their email, at their jobs, where they live, you know, that deep, uh, dark web people, you know, they track you, they know where you live, they know your phone number. All of that, to my surprise, is actually gets to be public information. So if you ask me how it feels to have to always have armed, you know, security people around me when I go for a jog or when I come to work or when I go back home. I don't like that. Does Dr. Fauci blame Donald Trump at all for you know the, the death threats and the fact that he now has to have an armed guard and half the country doesn't seem to believe that COVID is a real problem? He's far too professional to make a comment that would make that explicit. You know, whether he's the symptom of the cause, um, he's part of that movement is new or that that trend i don't know what you call it i i have to tell you so i can't comment on that 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 would not be appropriate for me to make any comments about the president i mean i'm i I just can't do that he's a professional credo if you like he's he's taken from his favorite work of philosophy which he says is the godfather and you know (laughs) there's this great line the godfather you know it's uh it's not personal it's, it's business I read in the New Yorker that you had a credo that you borrowed from uh, what it says, your favorite book of philosophy, The Godfather. Uh, right. And the quote is, it's nothing personal, it's strictly business. Is that right? Is that, is, that, is that kind of, is that true? You know, it is because, I mean, to me, I cannot be bothered with anything that distracts me from my goal. What sort of is curious, a man works for us, with us very closely, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, also highly thought of. And yet they're highly thought of, but nobody likes me. It can only be my personality, that's all. Are the rumours true that is President Trump trying to replace Dr Fauci with another advisor? I'd, I, that I cannot tell you, Manveen. I'm not sure, mm. sorry. There are obviously other people who could be appointed to that task force role. It isn't within Donald Trump's power to replace Dr Fauci as head of the uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, he could replace Dr. Fauci from this sort of White House role that he has, but he can't replace him as 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 one of America's most important scientific leaders. That's that's not something he can do. So, you know, how that would play for, for Donald Trump is is anybody's guess. He, 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 you know, a, a portion of the president's base are probably delighted to see Dr. Fauci go. You know, lots of America would be distraught, I would have thought. And what does Dr. Fauci say about vaccines? Are, are we likely to get one by the end of the year? 
And is there a danger that it might be fast-tracked in time for the election? So vaccines are really interesting at the moment. I had made the projection, and I think it's still true, that, that we will likely... Just a second. No, no. Yeah. Uh, it is likely that we'll get an answer... I would say by the end of the year, I've been saying November and December, but I would say a safe bet is at least knowing that you have a safe and effective vaccine by November, December, and then having doses available for distribution either at the very end of this calendar year or the beginning of 2021. As to whether he thinks that there's a danger of a vaccine being expedited for political reasons. Um, he discounted that idea to me. He sort of cut it off pretty pretty sharply, actually. One topic that's been very live has been this report about figures inside the White House perhaps discussing fast-tracking a vaccine according to a timetable that would be dictated by the presidential election. Yeah. Could that... First of all, could you believe that those kind of discussions might have taken place? As no, no. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to see a vaccine become available, but I have been very public about saying very clearly that I want to make sure, even though I'm not a regulator, I'm a scientist, but as a scientist, I made it publicly very clear that I would not be satisfied until a vaccine was proven to be safe and effective before it was actually approved for general use. And plus, he makes a point also that the data on which any vaccine is given the green light, that will become public in due course. So, you know, if you do cut corners, people are going to know about it. America also has a not so distant history of bungled vaccine, bungled vaccines. In 1976, Gerald Ford rushed through a vaccine to, to tackle what was thought to be a, a big swine flu epidemic. And the vaccine wasn't perfect. And, you know, several hundred people got a nasty side effect, which involved them becoming paralyzed, actually. So, oh, God. Yeah. So the, these kind of things are, are sort of still alive in the American political consciousness. So I would be, I would be astonished if, if anybody in the White House was allowed to, to, to force through a, a vaccine without sufficient safety data. You know, that said, it doesn't mean that they're not going to expedite the process. So I think if you see the FDA or another regulator give emergency approval to a vaccine um, that doesn't go through, you know, the normal channels, I think that's something we should probably expect. And just finally, what is Dr. Fauci's sort of outlook for America? COVID is still a very serious problem there, but is he optimistic? I think he probably is optimistic, yeah. I have an abiding faith in the American people. I don't think that's changed at all. I think we are living in a divisive time. And sometimes when the rest of the world, including our colleagues and our friends from across the pond, look at what's going on, they may say, you know, what the heck's going on there? But in fact, fundamentally, we, 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 we have not changed. Fundamentally, we are a very fine people and I have a great deal of faith in that. That's how the interview ended. And you got the sense that that kind of fundamental optimism is, is a large part of what carries him through these very, very long working days that he's putting in at the moment. Okay, so 
Thank you very, very much for making time for me. You'll be excellent to get in touch. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Okay, take care. Bye. Cheers, bye. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Times science correspondent, Rhys Blakely. You can read more of Rhys's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were James Shield and Edward Drummond. The executive producers this week are Asia Fuchs and James Shield. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find the podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow.